From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. And today we're talking with both our investment advisor representatives, Janet Griffith and Adam Morse. And today we're talking about inheritances. Is your child prepared to receive your inheritance? Oftentimes, a lot of people can compare children who receive their parents' inheritance to people who win the lottery. In other words, they take on a lot of money all at once, and they may or may not be prepared to handle that amount of money. So have you ever had that discussion with your children? What are they going to do with your inheritance? It can be a tricky subject. It can be hard to navigate. But today, Adam and Janet are going to tackle that and hopefully make that process just a little easier. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Keep it simple each and every week. You can email us with episode suggestions or questions at podcast at assetbuilder.com. And you can find the show notes for every episode at assetbuilder.com slash podcast. All right, without further ado, let's get to the show. We were talking about the, uh, the trend of skipping a generation with the inheritance going straight to the grandkids instead of the kids. That's happening more and more because the, the parents or the grandparents are seeing that their kids have made bad decisions and they're lazy and they're divorcing and they've got all these issues going on. So they'd rather invest in the young and make sure they get a good jump start. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't the divorce rate like dropping for the first time in, I don't know. I See, think, I didn't really study. I, I, think, I ran across that, but I didn't. I think my generation is divorcing it. at a at a slower rate. Yeah, because we were we were like, oh, this is not fun. And there's no <laughs> doubt. I yeah, let's see, not do this. I see in my children who are in their twenties and and you know their friends and and Adam, I see, and you, Jared, I see a much more mature um, outlook on life than in the generation between mine and that one. And I'm not sure why that is. And it may just be my circle of friends. That's interesting because for years, all you heard was millennials suck. Well, (laughs) they don't suck. I mean, my goodness, that's ridiculous. No generation sucks. They're all just different. There's different, there's different um, things that happen in a generation that shape our beliefs or shape our values or shape who we mm-hmm. become even in our family or in the world in the united states and even in the world right things happen uh 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, really had an effect on on my youngest daughter mm-hmm. and I, you know i see decisions she makes because that security is not quite there mm, interesting that even my oldest daughter feels a little more secure yeah because she was older when that happened. So it's just things like that that happen to happen to us or are in the world around us that Well, in a lot of ways, it's us, almost like generations are a reaction to the generation before. For them. sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Exactly. Like the World War, like the baby boomers, you know, they were the, is that right? Were the baby boomers, like they were like the, like flower power generation. Yes, it's mm-hmm. the hippie generation. Yep. It's like, that was like a response to the, the greatest uptight. generation. Like yep. yeah, the very the traditional. Yep. Legalistic and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Very really had to, to push through. And then for me, it was the, the glass ceiling was a big deal. Yep. Women trying to become independent and work mm-hmm. hard and make their own way. Because, yep. you know, I saw in my life, my father died when I was 15 and my mother 
was there. She had no education, no real job to speak of and really struggled. And and that shaped me. I'm like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Right. You never want to be in that position. Or your daughters now. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's... It's interesting. It is interesting. And we're on the wrong path here to no, no, no. our well, topic it's, is. It's right on <laughs> because I think, I mean, what we want to talk yeah, about yep. was, you know, this idea of, there's this phrase and I hate phrases like this, but in our industry, they talk about the generational transfer of wealth, right? Which is mm-hmm. like a buzz phrase for this idea that obviously we all know the baby boomer generation, the silent generation, they're, they're aging. And, and over the next, so the Wall Street Journal did an article in July of last year, um, and there's a record, they say, um, about $70 trillion, right, that's currently in the possession of those two generations that between 2018 and 2042 is going to be passed on, right? So it's the, the largest amount of wealth that's ever going to go down between one generation and the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to mention, the generation receiving that is a smaller generation than the generation passing it on. So, um Okay, so what do we do with that? Well, that that's a fact, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure there will be a lot of like economic and financial implications to that. Mm-hmm. And that's all fine and good. And I'm sure a lot of people have talked about that. But, but you know what I love about that statistic is gone are the days of, of only a few are wealthy. These are people that have worked hard yep. and accumulated wealth. We see it even in our client base, right? Mm-hmm. They come to us at retirement and they have saved everything and mm-hmm. they are very wealthy. They have more money than they can spend in their lifetime. But, but they didn't they didn't they didn't inherit any wealth. Right. So they did this on their own and and that's what we're talking about. We want to prepare our heirs to take good care of this and be able to to manage it well and pass it on. We want to keep that growing so that, so that, I mean, you know, it's an ideal world, right? But where more and more people can be wealthy and can be, have good, strong, healthy, wealthy lives. Stable homes. Stable homes because they can afford, they can afford a roof over their heads. They can afford to feed their children and their grandchildren and educate them and do all the things that, that our generation has worked hard to do. And it wasn't easy for many, many of us, but many of us have accumulated wealth because of that. Well, think about the, I mean, the difference in like, how many people make decisions they wouldn't otherwise make because of the financial moment, right? Like the instant they're in their life may not be ideal financially. And so they make a decision that if they just had a modicum of financial stability, mm-hmm. like if they had the ability to, you know, how many people don't go to college because they can't afford it or because they have to work full time and it just seems like too much and they eventually mm-hmm. wash out and, you know, life happens and then they end up never going back to right. finish. and if you had the ability to not work for a semester, right? Like how many people would that impact? And that can all be kind of a knock on effect of this quote, generational transfer of wealth. I think, you know, one of the, we see this a lot, right? And kind of where I was going with that was, I I, I care about the like impact of that money, obviously, but day to day, like we Mm -hmm. just see a lot of hurt and a lot Mm -hmm. of like human discomfort and emotional suffering just in that instant of that wealth, right? And what does that mean? Well, when someone dies in our line of work, a lot of times we're kind of 
involved sometimes tangentially but sometimes very directly in helping families logistically handle that right like okay i had a bunch of accounts mm-hmm. in my dad's name he passed what do we do how do we how do we actually transfer that wealth mm-hmm. and we see a lot of i guess hurt that feels avoidable mm-hmm. um with some really just like common sense steps i think that's kind of what we want to touch on right. today was what are some of these things we can do to to smooth that out and to better prepare the next generation. What we say next generation, a lot of times these people are like in their fifties and sixties now, right. but you know, if you're going to inherit money, what are some simple things that, that the, that the granters of that money, right. Can the, the decedents can do in their lifetime to help smooth that out and give their heirs a better chance to have a, have a good outcome. And I think I credit Janet. I mean, this was like, Janet's really good. And I'll, I mean, I'll, you're here, I'll talk to you. <laughs> I think that's your best strength as an advisor and as a person is you are so empathetic mm. and you see everything through a very human lens, mm-hmm. right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to be better at that, but oftentimes, you know, I, I get very, I'm a driven person, but I get in the moment and right. I'm just focused on everything's a task. Everything's a goal. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have the ability to step back. And I think that's the lens we want to look at this through is right. just human to human. How can we help people avoid heartache mm-hmm. and pain in a moment that is already hard to get through? Right. That's right. So, so there was this guy by the name of Roy Williams. I, I believe he's already passed away, but he was he owned a, a advisory wealth advisory firm, I believe, in San Diego or or San Francisco. Uh, did a study over twenty years uh, because he saw this phenomenon of wealth being transferred down to the next generation going away quickly, mm-hmm. and by the third generation almost gone. So. Through his study, he learned that more than 70% of general wealth transfers or generational wealth transfers fail. 91% fail by the third generation. What That's does fail astounding. mean? astounding. Mean that it's dissipated. It's no longer, they have nothing left. They've, they've spent it all. They haven't taken that wealth and put it to work for them. Yeah, Michael used to liken it to lottery winners that... Right. Mm-hmm. There's a good percentage of lottery winners that right. end up dead. You <laughs> like want years, you yeah. want to teach them to not you don't go out and buy a yacht. You don't go out and buy a plane. Right. You take this, you obviously there's nothing wrong with spending some of it. You know, maybe you've been waiting to remodel your house or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do that. But but you don't need to go out and buy the Tesla or whatever, you know, whatever Which it is. It's so human, right? I yeah. mean because in and and the through line of whether you're a lottery winner or whether you inherit. And I think what's cool about this, this idea is that, you know, whether you're inheriting $10 million or $100,000 or even $20,000, mm-hmm. it feels like a windfall. I don't care who you are. You, you show up and $20,000 hits your account that day. That feels like a windfall. And certainly true with the lottery or, you know, I'm a sports guy. You see this a lot in sports, right? When, you know, athletes oftentimes, well, they're college kids like anybody else. And all of a sudden they sign a contract for mm-hmm. $50 million. Yeah. And within, I don't know what the stats are, but we've all heard the stories of guys that retire within a couple of years. Broke. They're, they're broke. Right. And it's mm-hmm. heartbreaking because like, man, that could have changed. So many it lives. It should have changed. So many lives. Right. 10 generations yeah. of your family. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah. and it didn't because we didn't understand some of these concepts. And I think the through line is this idea that it's a human nature thing to not if you weren't, if you didn't associate that money, those assets, with all the years and the effort and the time and the energy that it took to get it, it's much easier to spend it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I think, you know, the, the main through line of all the things, it all has to do with communication. Yep. It all has For to do sure. with communication from whoever earned that money, taking the time to, and a lot of this can be done over a lot of little conversations over a decade, but just communicating what it took, mm-hmm. the journey that you went on to arrive where you are. Yeah. It wasn't a windfall to that person. I can mm-hmm. most, in most cases, it's not a windfall. It represents a lot of people that punched the clock, showed up, you know, showed up to the factory, whatever it was, and just put those pennies away. Yep. And now it looks like a lot of money, but when you inherit it, you're in a much better position, I think, if you've heard that story, mm-hmm. you've yeah, heard absolutely. the journey and you can have it a, a secondhand appreciation, right? Yeah. Of course, and it helps if you have a good relationship with, you know, mm-hmm. your, your heirs and your estate, mm-hmm. but um, all these things have to do with communication and we'll walk through some of them. So, but. yeah, so Mr. Williams defined, he broke that down, the 91% of failures, 60% of those fail because of the lack of communication, Mm -hmm. right? Between the family uh, members, 25% failed because they were inadequately prepared for financial responsibility. 10% failed because of the lack of common purpose or a family mission. 5% failed because of other factors, like it wasn't set up properly in a trust or too many taxes took it or whatever. So all that to say, we spend more time focusing on setting it up in a trust and all of those sorts of things. And only 5% fail because of that. Yeah, The rest of them fail because of these other factors that we can control if we work at it. Yep. Right. So I agree. Do you want to go through these steps that you've written? Sure. So or just um, add, add Adam. No, 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 you're good. Okay. So, okay. So number one, have a written mission statement. I know that sounds corny, but it's pretty cool if you think about it. So what does your family believe in? You, you have these meetings and you talk about it. What's important to you? Maybe, maybe you uh, are adventurers. And so maybe that's part of your mission statement. Maybe you are uh, faithful to a certain uh, church or, or something like that. So that's part of your mission statement. We are going to serve together, work together, whatever. Um, so everything you do, every decision you make comes back to that. Is it going to serve our mission? Right? So yeah, this actually hit close to home because I was literally looking at this this afternoon. Um, and I was earlier today, actually my best friend recently had his first child. And so my wife and I during lunch today went to go meet the baby for the first time. And I had just looked at these notes and I was talking to my wife about it. And, you know, a mission statement, like for us, we have a special needs daughter, right? And that Mm -hmm. changed our life in a number of ways. But one of which is it opens you up to this massive community that most people are pretty closed off, not closed off to, but they're pretty um, unaware of, right? Or it's just not top of mind. And so for us, part of our mission statement, I never thought about mission statement feels corny, right? But Mm -hmm. never thought about kind of codifying what is our family about, right? right? And I think it's so powerful communicating that. I, I have mm-hmm. young kids communicating to our kids, hey, it is a, it is a, we've benefited so much from that community and the special needs community, people that have been there before and done it. I want that to be a legacy that our family leaves forever is we pour back into that community. We are mm-hmm. going to prioritize making our family um, a helpful part mm-hmm. of that community and a contributing part of that community. So even I'm learning from this, right? Right. Like, just and thinking that's about the kind of things. thing that brings a family unit together when they are all focused on the same mm-hmm. mission. And so then when you're gone, they're most likely going to carry that on. It may be tweaked because, you know, as we know, my children have a 
really our core values are the same, but they have different interests, different passions than, than we do. And that's important. That's what makes the world goes, go round. That's yep. what helps things to keep going and moving and new ideas, right? Yep. So we want to be open to that. But your, your mission could, could really unify your family and help help with this for sure. So I think that's number one. Number two is communicate. We've already mentioned that. That's the, the most important thing. Share with your children your wealth, how you got it. Like Adam said, if they understand how that came about, whether you inherited it, somewhere somebody started, mm-hmm. worked hard, built that wealth. And if they know the work that went into that, they're going to respect it more. You know, there is a, a verse in the Bible that's often misused that says, money is the root of all evil. That's not true. The love. verse says, love of money is the mm-hmm. root of all evil. Don't love your money, respect it, yep. right? Which so teach the your children to respect it. I think, um, and I think that dovetails beautifully into point three, which is invite participation, right? So give heirs the option to participate in management of family assets. And that's good on so many levels because organically out of that participation, A, your heirs, we talked about this to begin, right? They're going to be learning while mm-hmm. they're doing that. They're going to be learning from mm-hmm. you who as the current custodian of that wealth, you've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. So when inviting them to participate and particularly participate in the management of the money, mm-hmm. doesn't mean they own the money yet, but it means, hey, someday this will be mm-hmm. yours. Help me think through. Let me show you how I think through, you know, um, curves in the road or challenges that lie ahead. Mm-hmm. Let me help you think through and, and show you how I think through these things as I go through them. Um, so A, they'll be learning. B, it's going to help them feel ownership of mm-hmm. that money, right? It's not going to be this arm's length windfall of something that I don't understand or I didn't have a part mm-hmm. in. It's, no, I've already taken ownership of this. I'm already a steward of this. So it's going to give them a much closer relationship to it. And they're going to associate it more with their relationship with you, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just this, oh, right. I didn't have this money yesterday and now I do. Now they're going to associate it with the, the time and effort mm-hmm. that my dad or my mom or my family member put into spending with mm-hmm. me to help me learn, right? So yeah. I think it is a very powerful thing that you can do uh, to kind of help prepare them. That's awesome. Yep. I love so, that. Yep. Teaching and, them, teaching them along the way from when they're very little, the what's, how can money work for you? What are the things that money can do to make your life better, right? And it's not stuff, right? Right. Yep. It's, it's having no debt. It's being able to get a higher education. It's having money set aside for a rainy day. Helping others. Helping yeah. others, giving, giving back to the community, helping people that are less fortunate so that, that they can have a good life as well, right? So, and I'd so also these say, are very important. I think just to like on the ground level, or well, that's not the right phrase, but in a very practical way, right? Like one of the things I see personally that I see the most kind of stress and angst over when someone passes away is, you know, this idea that they, they didn't, they didn't hear it from the horse's mouth, what they want to do with that. Mm-hmm. There might be a will. And most of the time there is. Mm-hmm. And in this will, it states exactly what they want, but I don't know if you ever read a will, but it is boring. It's, it's boring. <laughs> so and and there's, and there's a lack of, there's a mm-hmm. lack of emotion and intent. Like yeah. I'm not getting to hear it from my parent or from my grandparent Here's why I like, I want this to happen with this money. Here's why. Let mm-hmm. me tell you from yeah. a human perspective, this is what I care about, right? Here's why I, I can't tell you how often I hear, well, 
this cousin got, you know, 5% more than I did. And now there's mm-hmm. this, this discontent. Well, maybe if you had heard from your grandparent, why mm-hmm. that is, there's probably a good reason. And it's sometimes it is like, well, I just kind of don't trust you, but mm-hmm. oftentimes there's a, there's a good reason for those types of things. But in the absence of communication, people draw a lot of bad conclusions. Yeah. And so communicating, like sitting down and walking through your will, here's why I've made the decisions that I've made. When the time comes, A, hopefully by then everyone has had a chance to digest that information. They're not hearing it for the first time. But B, there's not many arguments to be had when everyone sat down and heard it from the horse's mouth. That's right. It kind of just, most people I think generally want to honor their late loved one. And Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a lot less friction when everyone had the same conversation. Everyone heard it from Mm -hmm. the person that passed. Okay, this is just what we're doing. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of arguments to be had in that case. So I think that's probably the most practical thing that, you know, if you hear nothing else, hear that. Just talk about why your will is what it is with your loved ones. And I think from that sprouts all these other conversations that we're talking about, all these conversations about how to manage Mm -hmm. it, how you've gone about managing Mm -hmm. it, what the other options are, and kind of just what your wishes Mm -hmm. are for it after you're gone, you know? Yep. Good points. So I think that's, that kind of sums it up. I mean, there's the obvious one, be organized, have your files together, make sure your heirs know Mm. where they are. They've read them already. They know, they know what's coming. There's not going to be any surprises, right? That I've seen that hurt so many people Get when a parent dies. Password safe. Yeah. <laughs> and give someone the master yes. password. Yeah. It is very simple, mm-hmm. but please do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It will save someone uh, somewhere yes. a lot yes. of time and energy. Yes. yes. So um all right. So what else did we put down here? Uh just some Side notes, I said, sit down with your kids and talk with them about the importance of investing and preserving. Yep. So teach them about investing and how you can put that money to work for you so that it does last. It lasts even beyond, you know, their generation to their mm-hmm. grandkids and great grandkids. Um, so, and we have clients that will do this. They'll put a small amount in an investment account for their children to monitor so they can watch that grow. Um, I think it's actually like kind of the prerequisite for all of this. And I I think this is more of a generational thing because I see it a lot less, like certainly with my family and my friends' families as we get older and start having kids of our own. Like my kids all the time will ask about kind of, they don't ask, hey, mom and dad, how much money do you guys make? But Mm -hmm. they'll ask like, um, like I've talked about my father-in-law before on this podcast. He was a successful businessman and they're aware that, hey, they do things that we don't do. Mm-hmm. Why? Right. And these are like opportunities to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we make different amounts of money, that there are jobs that pay different. And it helps them start to conceptualize this. But mm-hmm. I think my generation seems to be more comfortable talking about money, at least with their kids, as opposed to certainly my grandparents' generation. It was like, we don't discuss Mm -mm. it. It's a private matter that doesn't need to be discussed. And so I think culturally we need to kind of rethink that because I I can see why those conclusions were made. But I think the more we get into this, this era where they're starting to pass away, we're seeing kind of the damage of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think just culturally wrapping your head around the idea, it's okay to talk about money with, at least with family, right? Especially if they're going to be inheriting that money, right? right? Like right. it's it's a, actually a healthy thing to do. It doesn't right. have to be awkward or uncomfortable or shameful or braggadocious. It can just be factual, right? So um, 
yeah i don't have anything else i think we've mm-hmm. we've covered it pretty well yeah. janet do you have anything else I, I do not i think that that sums it up jared i know you have something else let me think nope okay that's it <laughs> perfect that's it for me as always, if you guys have any questions or you want to follow up, you can always email us at the podcast. Follow us, rate us. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with something else. Great. Sounds good. Thank you. See y'all then. All right. Talk to you guys later. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com. If you have any questions for Adam or Janet concerning this topic or anything else, please visit us at our home on the web, assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode.